Hopefully your Bible's still open to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you think about this year, 2020, there's a lot that's happened. It seems like a long year so far. I would say it this way, there's a lot that's happened, there's a lot that hasn't happened. I don't know if, if you made any resolutions in 2019 for 2020, or maybe you had some hopes and plans for this year. Some families planned to go to Disneyland this year, so they, brought, they bought passes for the whole year. Some people had some pretty big plans, churches, so they had their 2020 visions. And that's pretty much destroyed now. Many people had high expectations and all been turned upside down. And when we place our hope in earthly plans and temporal outlooks, we can be disappointed, as many people are, are experiencing right now. But there's, there's one hope that we can place our, our hope in that will never be disappointed. It's the one we can be certain about. It's a hope that should motivate us in our daily life. And it's the hope of Christ's soon return. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The hope that Christ gives us for grace to come. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be studying from 1 Peter 1, 13 through chapter 2, verse 3. And we're going to study living out your salvation. So I'm not, I'm not plugged in up here for some reason. So I'm going to, am I okay? Here we go. Living out your salvation from 1 Peter 1, 13. I'll let you guys figure it out. That's how it goes. There it goes. And as the past couple of weeks, we were studying about God's great salvation, verses 13 through 12. And we looked at what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. And so he gives us that description in those verses. And then look at the beginning of verse 13. Peter writes, he says, therefore. And the therefore points back to what Jesus has, or what God has provided for us in Jesus Christ. And then the next paragraph here, chapter 1, 13 through 2, 3, we see five commands Five commands that are based upon the reality of what God has given to us. And this is actually how much of the New Testament is laid out, where you see the, the indicatives, you see the, what God has done for us, what God is doing in us, and then after that you see the commands that God has for us. And that's, that's due, in fact, to the fact that that's how Christianity works. Like, obedience actually comes after God's work. God does a work for you, therefore you obey him. God doesn't work in you, therefore you can have holiness and you can have righteousness. And so, so that's what you see here with Peter. He's laying that out. He says, here's what God has done for you, and therefore, here's these five commands. You can see these five commands starting in verse 13. They're, they're progressive. They build upon each other. They actually deal with five different parts of our lives. So verse 13, the first command, is the one we're going to look at this morning. And it says we're to, we're to set our hope fully on the grace of God. So here you see the inner man here. You see the mind. You see the hopes that we have. Then in verse 15, you see our conduct, what kind of comes out of the inner man. It says in verse 15, you shall be holy in all your conduct. The third imperative you found in, in verse 17. So he goes from your thoughts and your will and your actions to then relationship with God. And so verse 17, you call upon him as father. There's your relationship with God. You consider him as just and you conduct yourselves with fear. So you conduct yourself in the fear of God. Then you can see verse 22, the fourth imperative there is 
deals with our relationships with other people, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, then the fifth imperative is found in chapter 2, verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk. Since this one deals with how you can grow in those relationships. So that's, that's basically our outline for the next couple of weeks. So there you go. You, got, you already got it. You can study it. You can figure it out. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll tune in and listen. Today we're going to deal with the first one, and that is that you should set your hope on God's future grace. Now, Father's Day is coming up in a couple weeks, and so some of you might be planning to get your, your father something if he's still around. And what, what, does a, what does a guy want? What does a guy want? What does a father want for Father's Day? You know, sometimes they get ties, eh, socks. A guy wants something that works, right? I mean, he wants something maybe he can put together, something he can do something with. You know, maybe a grill, you know, so you can put it together and then you can go out and grill. I'm not asking for anything. I'm just saying that, that that's something that a guy might want. And God has given us the gift of salvation. He doesn't want us just to receive it. He wants us to use it. When you receive a gift, you should use that gift. So how do you use the gift of salvation? Like, how do you live it out? And so that's what he tells us here. And so today we're going to look at that we live out the gift of salvation by setting our hope upon God's future grace. And so I'm just going to read verse 13. That's basically the verse we're going to cover this morning. Verse 13 says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action, and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the first word there in verse 13 is so very important that therefore is important because it, again, points to what Jesus has done for us. So what has he done for us? What has God, I should say this way, what has God done for us in Christ? And so what we'll see, if we go through that text there, we can see the things that he's done for us. Look in verse 2. I'm just going to sweep over this to review what he has done for us in Christ. So verse 2, we see that God chose us, the Spirit sanctifies us, Jesus shed his blood for us. Verse 3, God had mercy on us. The Holy Spirit caused us to be born again. We have a a living hope because Jesus was resurrected from the grave. Now we are going to be resurrected. Verse 4, we have an inheritance in heaven. Verse 5, God is powerfully guarding us. He's keeping us safe. We have eternal security. Verse 6, God sovereignly oversees our trials and helps us to grow stronger in faith. Verse 7, Jesus is coming back soon, and he's going to reward those who trust him. Verse 9, God promises our souls are eternally saved. Verses 10 and 11, the Holy Spirit has given us the word of God. Verse 12, God sent someone to you to give you the gospel, and now you have this amazing grace. So amazing that even angels are amazed by it. So so this is what God has given to us. And so he, he says in verse 13, therefore... And the first command and the major verb here in this verse is the word, set your hope. Set your hope on the grace to come. The conclusion of receiving God's amazing salvation is that we therefore look forward to the future and the expectation of what God has for us. So we should set our hope in God's future grace. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this idea of hope is this confident expectation that that God has something wonderful wonderful for us in the future. 
So we, we see in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 that Peter speaks about this hope. And let me back up and just say, remember in verse uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he says we have a living hope. And so you see in, in Peter using this idea of the word hope over and over again. And in 1 Peter 3.15, he says we should be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Sometimes we look at this verse as, you know, a verse for apologetics. That's not necessarily a bad thing. Definitely we should be able to give a reason for why we believe what we believe. But I think actually what he's saying here is this. It's, like, it's the idea that you should have a hope within you. There should be this longing, this desire. It's not just intellectual. It's actually this yearning in your soul for something to come. And you should be able to give a reason for that yearning. So we have this hope that, that Jesus has something for us. It's grace in the future. And then we actually have a reason. What's the reason? Well, it's the verses thir- uh, 3 through verse 12. It's the salvation he's provided for us. Hope is such an important concept in biblical Christianity. We, it's important for us to understand. In fact, if you study Paul the Apostle, you'll see that Paul uses the idea of hope over and over. In fact, you probably remember uh, passages like this, 1 Corinthians 13, where it's the love chapter. Maybe you heard this at a wedding or something like that. And at the very end of it, it says, now these remain, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. What you see Paul doing is he actually weaves together three different words, faith, hope, and love throughout his, throughout his writings. In fact, you can see this again in 1 Thessalonians uh, 1 verse 3. In fact, just Google, or I, I should say in a, in a Bible search, uh, type in these words, and you'll see this a number of times through his writings. So he says that we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, your steadfastness of hope in Jesus Christ. So faith, hope, and love, these are all gifts from the Holy Spirit, and they actually are a response to the word of God and to the work that Jesus has done for us and he is doing in us. And and we're familiar mostly with faith. Faith is the the belief that uh, something is true even though you can't see it. So it's a belief in something you cannot see but is nevertheless true. And again, I say this over and over because people sometimes think of faith as something that you believe without any evidence. But that's actually not the idea of biblical faith. Faith is not the absence of evidence. It's the absence of sight, being able to see what you believe is true. And we, we have this on a regular basis, right? If you go to the airport, you have your luggage, you pass it off to someone, and it disappears behind that little you know, door, and you have faith that you're going to see that luggage again, right? Now, your faith might be misplaced because they misplace your luggage. And there's certain airlines you should have probably a lot of faith in, and some you shouldn't have much faith in. I'm not going to say those publicly, right? But if you give a package over to the UPS person or the FedEx person or UPS, you know, you have faith. That package is going to get to that destination. Like, there's some things you don't see, but you believe it's true because you have evidence for it to be true. And the same thing is true in Christianity. Like, we, we have evidence that we believe we can't see some things that we think are true, we believe are true, but we believe it. We believe the promise that Jesus is the Savior and he will save you if you turn to him in faith. And so, so that's faith. Hope, though, is the idea that we have an earnest confidence about a future expectation. So faith deals with the past, uh, the present, and the, f- and the future. 
But hope really just deals with the future. It's a future expectation. And love actually is about the present. It's, it's, it's presently sacrificing my rights for the good of another person. So that's, that's what love is. And so when you see those three in the scripture, it's kind of what you're seeing. And, and faith comes before hope and love. Because we have faith, because we believe Jesus is real and he died for us on the cross and he rose again, we have hope that someday he will give us the promises that he is, he's given to us. We'll have the grace that he has promised to us. Because we have faith in what Jesus has done for us and we have hope for what's to come, therefore today we love one another. So you see how those, those, those work together. In fact, you can see this working together. And Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, he says, for through the Spirit, so again, these are, these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. So you see faith, you see the hope, the future look of righteousness. And then he says in verse 6, he says, for anything but only faith working, I'm sorry, I missed a, a, a verse there, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So faith expressed through love. And then when we get down to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, you're going to see that because of the hope that we have for future grace, we now love one another from a pure heart. So again, Love is present tense. Faith kind of deals with everything. And hope is future tense. So when we think about the hope here, he's saying we should set our hope on the grace to come. It's the idea that we, not just that we're looking in faith to the future, but we have this, this longing, this yearning in our heart for something that is wonderful, that is, that is beautiful, that's amazing. I think about people hoping for something. I think about these kids on TV um, who see their fathers come back or mothers come back from, from being overseas in the military. You've seen those? And if you watch those videos, I mean, there's, there's a lot of them online where you can just cry the whole way through it. You know, you see this little, this little boy, this little girl, and, you know, they're being surprised, and their daddy or mommy walks in the door, and, you know, they see them, and they start crying. Run over, everyone's crying in the room, and we're all, you know, sad and happy at the same time. And, but you think about a child like that, and let's, let's just say, for instance, that the father is the one that's overseas, and a, and a mother makes a promise to that child, like your dad is going to be back in June. He's going to be back in June. So that's, that's faith. That child believes the promise of that mother. And that child also has hope. Like they're looking forward to that day. They can see their father. And actually in the present tense, they might have love, right? Based upon the promise, based upon the, the promise of faith, also the hope. They might say, you know, I'm, I'm going to clean the garage for daddy. So when daddy comes home, then he can see that there's a clean garage. And maybe even as it gets closer, the child gets more excited. And maybe she, uh, he or she writes letters to their daddy and say, Daddy, I can't wait to see you. I can't wait to your home. Maybe they save up money because they want to give them a gift. So, th so they have the love in the present tense. It's, it's built upon the hope of that, of that father coming. And then when the father comes, they experience uh, the, the blessing of that hope. And that, that's really the same kind of picture that we have here of our longing for Jesus Christ. We believe he's coming back. But again, it's not just faith. It's not just saying, I, I know it's true. It's actually a longing. Like we can't wait for him to come back and it actually affects how we interact with people on a daily basis. And so you see this, this longing, this, this earnest confidence about a future expectation. You can see this in Titus chapter two, verse 13. He says, waiting for the blessed hope. 
So there's the word hope, and it's the idea we're, we're waiting for Jesus to appear, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, this is a great verse about the deity of Jesus Christ right there. Great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. We have this hope that we're to set fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Notice he doesn't say we're looking forward to Jesus coming back, although that's part of it. He's actually saying we're looking forward to what Jesus Christ will, will bring at his coming. What is that? It's grace. Now, why does he say it that way? Well, when you think about the revelation of Jesus Christ, if you were to read through the book of Revelation, if you were to read through the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's actually mostly dealing with judgment. The revelation of Jesus Christ is Jesus coming back to judge the world. The the first coming of Jesus was a coming of redemption. He came to die as the Lamb of God. He, He came as the Savior and Lord of the world. His second coming will be one of judgment. In fact, even the word revelation means this. The word revelation is apocalypse. So we hear people talking about that today. At least I have. Some people you know, maybe on uh, social media or some people in the news are saying, is this the apocalypse, you know? And, you know, you have a pandemic and you have these, these murdering hornets that are around that everyone's scared about. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. You know, we have riots, which are terrible. We have tornadoes. We had an earthquake this week. Actually, that's where I saw it. Someone and see me had an earthquake. and like, is this the apocalypse, okay? Remember, I, somewhere. But this is not the apocalypse right now. Like, if you read the book of Revelation, it gets a lot worse than what it is right now. Definitely, there's a curse upon this world, so definitely it's bad, okay? So I'm not saying it's not bad, but it's going to get worse because the book of Revelation speaks of judgment. In fact, if you look at the beginning of Revelation, Revelation 1, 1 and verse 7, it says the revelation or literally the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which means unveiling. So when Jesus comes, there'll be this unveiling, and it says, behold, he is coming With the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth. So this is something where everyone that's been alive will wail on account of him. They're not cheering him, they're wailing because they recognize there's judgment that's going to come upon them. And Revelation 19 is kind of the the peak of of that book where you see Jesus coming back in that second coming. So here in 1 Peter, he says there's a revelation of Jesus Christ. So Does it seem odd to you that he says you should hope in that revelation? I mean, who hopes for judgment? If the revelation of Jesus Christ is about judgment, then why why do we have hope in that? Well, it's not hope for those who are going to be under judgment, right? So I think it's good to pause and ask this question right right now. If everyone will be there on that day when Christ returns, and that's a time of judgment, how, how do you know that you're not going to be one of those that are going to be judged? How do you know that you're not going to face the judgment of God for your sin? Because let's, let's say this first of all, all of us deserve it, right? No matter who we are, we deserve the judgment of God because we have transgressed our Lord. We have transgressed the Lord, the judge of all the earth. So we all deserve judgment. How do you know that you're not going to receive that judgment? Well, it's, it's found in one word. And that is the word grace found the word grace. The only answer is that you have grace. That's why I love this passage, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace, you are saved. You have been saved through 
faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. And Ephesians 2 here has kind of both ideas of grace and salvation. And grace comes through faith in Christ. So you receive the grace of God through faith in Christ. And grace gives you salvation. Does that make sense? So God saves you by his grace, and, or he saves you, and it's by his grace. So in Ephesians chapter 2, you see both these ideas here. And the idea is that when all of those who are on earth that turn to Jesus in faith receive grace and therefore are saved, and therefore at the end of time, when Christ is revealed and judgment comes, those who have grace will be saved. And they will experience the grace and the beauty and the wonder of eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for those who have grace, they look forward to that. Not to the judgment, not to the judgment of other people, so don't get me wrong there, but to the grace that we're going to receive. We all know it's going to happen, if you believe the Bible, that there's going to be a second coming of Christ and he will be revealed. There'll be an apocalypse. He will be revealed from heaven and everyone will face judgment except for those who have Grace. And so as Christians, we look forward to the revelation of Jesus Christ because we look forward to his grace. I remember when I was a child, I, I think it was about sixth grade, years, sixth grade, about 11 or 12 years old, my sister went to uh, Europe for her senior trip. Sorry for the seniors in here that heard that, but it's kind of painful, maybe putting salt in the wound there. But that's what she did. And uh, she went on her senior trip to Europe, and she promised to bring, bring me back a gift. And so while she was gone, I longed for her to come home. Not really to see my sister, although I probably should have longed for her more than I did. But anyways, for the gift she had. And she came home, she got me a t-shirt from London that said, Big Ben. And I wore that shirt, I think, probably till college. Of course, by that time, it was up to here and all that. But she brought me back chocolate from Switzerland. That was pretty good. And, and I enjoyed the, the gifts, the grace if you want to say it that way, the gifts that she gave to me. I, I looked forward to her coming back, although I didn't know what the gifts were going to be. I looked forward to her, but not just her, but actually what she was going to give me. So this is, I think it's a great picture of what, what it's going to be like for Christ. We look forward to Christ, yes, and we look forward to what he will give to us, and that is grace. And I think when we consider a text like this, we have to ask ourselves the, the question as Christians, do we really look forward to Christ's coming? It's our earnest hope, our earnest expectation to see him and his grace. And if not, if we can go through our weeks and our days and we don't even think about Christ's coming and maybe it doesn't even move us, we got to ask ourselves the question, why? Why is that? We live in a world that has a lot of hopes, don't we? Some are hopes that are misplaced. Some are hopes that are evil. Some are hopes that are good, but have a solution that's not the right biblical solution. Just, just think about kind of what's going on in our world right now. We have people who are hoping for justice. And they have different definitions for that, but just take that idea of justice. They have, we have people who are hoping for the end of racism. Definitely that is a good thing to hope for. Some hope for, to vote for a president that will give us more freedom. That's a good thing to vote for. Some hope uh, for all those things together, right? Some hope for anarchy. That's not a good thing. Some hope to get rid of law enforcement. That's a terrible idea. It's not biblical. 
some hope to prove they are right and prove other people are wrong. And, and, and people on, on different parts of society, I don't, I don't know if you can really say there's two parts, but different places in society, they have their hopes, right? And they're, they're generally based in temporal ideals and temporal desires. I think about our former president who, uh, before Trump, who said that his slogan was hope and change. And people probably talked about this a lot back then. I know I did a little bit, but hope is, is, is a good idea, but it depends on what you're hoping in, right? Change can be good if you have good change, the right kind of change. But for Christians, we recognize that the hopes of this world, listen to this, the hopes of this world are different than our hopes. Their hopes are going to pass away when they pass away. And our hope must be in the eternal purposes and person of Jesus Christ. Earthly hopes will fade and perish, right? Elections come and elections go. Movements come, movements go. But Jesus will come. And that's what matters. And I think as Christians, I want to just say, even as your pastor, I want us to remember, and I'm not necessarily thinking of, I'm not thinking of anyone in this room, okay? But I just want us all to remember and be careful that in our world, we can, we can connect ourselves to beliefs and to hopes that don't actually line up to Scripture, and that's not a good thing as a Christian. I, I do believe we have a duty as citizens that's from the Scripture that we should definitely participate in whatever uh, form of government God allows us to be involved in. And so I think that it's, a, it's our duty we, to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Jesus Christ said that himself. And so I think it's important for us to be a part of our civic duty to do that. And to, and to be loving our neighbor, okay? So I think that's important as well. But it's also important for us to back up and remember that our hope is beyond this life. And remember that real change, if we want real societal change, it doesn't take place through elections. It doesn't take place through protests. Real societal, like transforma transformational change takes place in the hearts of people. And, and, I, and again, I... You know, I'm not trying to make a statement about people's protests and stuff, but I'm going to say this. Protests don't change people's hearts. Your amazing arguments on Twitter, right? And some people have some amazing arguments on Twitter, and there's a lot of arguing going on on the social media. Listen, they're not changing people's hearts as far as transformational grace-filled change. We got to remember that. I'm not saying you shouldn't post anything up or never do anything. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, what is your hope in? What is our hope in as Christians? We have to remember that it's important that we consider what our hope is in. And as we have a society that's drifting farther and farther away from biblical values. And the only thing that can redeem our society is the personal redemption of Jesus Christ in the hearts of people. And again, let me step back up and say, we, I think we, have, we do have a duty to have a civic responsibility. I think that's clear in God's word. We're to definitely show kindness to our community. We're to, as much as lies within you, to live at peace with all people but let's, let's be careful not to put our hope in a movement with cardboard signs. Seriously, like don't put your hope that a movement with cardboard signs is going to be what's going to transform our society. And this might be a little controversial as well, but let's not put our hope in a president that holds up a Bible. And again, I'm not slamming th people and things. What I'm saying is, what is our ultimate hope in? What really brings transformational change in our society? And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our hope should be in Christ. He's coming back. 
and he has purposes that he is fulfilling right now, and our, his purpose must be our purpose. I think about just even the idea of, of justice. People say they want justice. What does that mean, they want justice? What is true justice? You know what true justice is? That is, we sin in thought, word, and action against God, and he sends us to a, a Christless eternity. That's justice. And when we look at the masses of people that are marching, what burns in your heart? Some people look at those people that are, are marching, and they, they frankly, were, they're opposed to them. They, re, they reject them. They think, well, those are people to be rejected. And there's definitely people that are doing some things that are not right, okay? So don't get me wrong there. But as a Christian, as we set our hope in Jesus in the future and what he has, and we look at those people, we think about true justice, what do we see? Because people on both sides, whether, whether they're on one side or the other, they're all people for whom Christ has died, right? Every one of those people are people that Jesus came to this world to die for. And therefore, what they need, or I should say it this way, what they will experience is true justice someday. That's a sobering reality. And what they need is they need the gospel of Jesus Christ. And again, I'm not, proving any, I'm not approving of any wrongdoing. I'm just saying we need to think about the hope of Jesus in context of what's happening in our society. When we look at those people, we need to remember that whether you're the police officer and you do something that's wicked and wrong and you deserve earthly judgment, that that person is still a person for whom Christ died. Now, that's controversial to say in our day right now. That person is a person for whom Christ died. We should pray that he could come to Christ if he hasn't already. And, and the people that are opposing the, our government and anarchy, we should pray that they come to Christ. In other words, our hope should be that these people experience the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or maybe, or maybe you look at it and you say, well, those people are marching for justice. And again, do you realize that those Millions of people, how many they are, they have their own justice to worry about. Right? They have an eternal God they got to stand before someday, and they have to answer to him. And yes, earthly justice does matter, but, I mean, frankly, true utopian justice won't happen until Jesus reigns on the earth. So that's actually not going to happen until Jesus is the ruler. So this idea that there's going to be a time where there's going to be utopian justice on this earth, that's just not going to be the case. There's always going to be injustice. As we're all focused on the injustice in America, many people don't realize the injustice happening around the world. Christians in Hong Kong are being stripped away of their, their religious right to be able to, to um, do what they're doing there. And people in China with other different religions, even Muslims, are being taken away and put in concentration camps and in Iran, there's a girl who had her head chopped off a couple weeks ago following Christ. I mean, what you, what you, what you recognize is this world is full of injustice. It's not going to be completely <laughs> done away with until Christ comes. My point is this. When we look at people, that, when we look at the screens, we look at those people, and you think that it's about justice, I want you to remember that the justice that truly matters is the final justice when people stand before God. And if what burns in your soul when you look at people is just about earthly justice, and you're a Christian, I, I actually encourage you to back up and think about this. Have you considered that all those people will stand before God and face a Christless eternity? And we don't want them to face that eternity. 
The answer is not to try to get justice right now on earth. Again, do your civic duty. Not saying that. But the ultimate goal is we want to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the question is not how do we have justice right now for those things. The question is how do we share grace with people so they don't have to experience the justice of God when he comes back. I think about it like this. Jesus could come back any day. If Jesus came back on Friday, what would you have wished you had done between now and then? What would have been, what would change in your value system? What purposes and hopes would you have? So the hope for a Christian is we have this longing, this hope for Christ's return. When he will return and make all things right. And ironically enough, the hope of many people will actually be fulfilled in Christ. In other words, people want justice. Well, he will, he will give justice to those who have broken his laws. And he will give grace to those who have received him. Not because of their works, right? Because Jesus faced the justice of God on the cross in their stead. The world wants an impartial judge. Like, don't judge based upon people's status or people's skin tone. And that's going to happen on the day of Christ. Right? He's not going to judge partially. He's going to be an impartial judge. In fact, we can see this. Look down in 1 Peter. Look down in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. It says, you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. So there actually will be a day when everyone will be judged impartially and only those who have turned to Christ and received the grace of Christ will be declared not guilty. Many in the world want freedom and prosperity but final freedom and true heavenly prosperity will be given at the grace of Jesus Christ. And so all that to say, I know there was a lot of things in there they might have questions about. We could talk about it. But all that to say is coming back to this, and that is, Christian, what is our hope in? What burns in our heart throughout the week? Is it the longing for Christ to come so we can experience his grace? And is it now, is it now focused on the purposes of Jesus Christ? in the eternal realities that truly, that truly last. So you might sit here and think, well, you know, Pastor Ben, I haven't really been thinking that much about Christ's return this week. I've been thinking about a lot of other things. So, but how does that work, right? Because I've been hearing about Christ's return for years. And, and it's kind of like one of those things where, oh, once I hear the message on it, then I start thinking about it. Come on, is, it, is that where you kind of are a little bit? And you're like, so, you know, it's like, okay, so now I'm going to think about it this week. So the question is then, how can you, how can you, Long for Christ's return. How can you have this hope for grace? And so I'm just real quick at the very end, let me give you two ways to stir our affections and longing for future grace. And it's actually found in verse 13. Because he starts off this verse with two participles that teach us how to have this hope. He says in verse 13, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded. And so the two ways that he gives us are these two ways. How can you set your hope in grace? With an intentional mind and with a disciplined, oops, disciplined will. The disciplined will. So first, look at verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. So the idea of preparing your mind is a first century idiom. They wore these long robes, and if they were going to go for a run or if they were going to go for a race, they, would, they wouldn't go out and change their short shorts, okay? That wasn't invented until... I don't know, a long time, and wish they were never invented. But anyways, 
But you take your robe and you pull it up like this and you tuck it into your belt. And so it kind of formed somewhat of shorts, maybe look more like a diaper. But the idea is that it would free your legs up so that you could run. I think about athletes, professional athletes, and, and they're very focused on preparing for their, their game they have. And so, um, so sometimes they prepare their minds for games where maybe they'll uh, be for a day or two. They won't have any distractions. They won't look at the media. They won't look at what ESPN is saying about their team or anything like that. Maybe they'll put music on. Maybe they'll study uh, what's happening in the, uh, with the other team. You know, maybe study some of their, their opponents and maybe some of the plans they have. So if you're a basketball player or a football player, whatever it is, you are preparing your mind. That's kind of the idea that he has here. It's the idea that we prepare to think properly about something. The literal translation, if you want to say a more literal, or I could say it this way, a more literal idea would be to, to bring up and tuck your mind into your belt. Now, that doesn't really make sense to us. So the ESV translated, prepare your mind for action. And so the idea here is that we are going to prepare our thing, ourselves to think properly about God's grace and about his coming. We're going to remove distractions from our life. We're, we're going to draw our affections to Christ and prepare our minds to think about it. I was reading a story about um, a basketball player named Daquan Cook. This is 2007, and he was going to be, he was playing in the um, NCAA National Championship game. And, and he played for, I think, Ohio State, and Ohio State lost to um, Florida Gators. And at the end of the game, and actually I think it was a couple years later, one of the teammates said that they lost the game because Deshaun Cook, before the game, found out that he was going to be in the NBA. He announced that basically, I'm going to be in the NBA, and kind of all lined it up. So right before the game, he's going around telling everyone, and his mind was completely unfocused on the game. He was thinking about probably the millions of dollars he's going to be making, the fame he was going to have, and all that. It ended up, he bombed the game and did a terrible job in the game. And people and his team blamed it, in some sense, on him. What you see there is a person who has something really important to do, and he didn't prepare mentally for that. And I think that actually happens a lot with Christians, right? We have a lot of important things to do this week, and not just our jobs. Those are important, but we, have to, we need to live for Jesus Christ. We need to hope for what he has for us. So we need to prepare our minds for that. That's why I think it's so important for us to be in the word of God each morning. Prepare your minds with grace to remind yourself of the hope that you have. So you, you think intentionally, you have an intentional mind, and then you have a disciplined will. So look in verse 13. He says, being sober-minded. Sober is commonly seen as the opposite of being drunk, right? When someone's drunk, they, they don't think clearly, they don't speak clearly, and they lose control of their will, if you want to say it that way. And so on TV, generally people see that as funny. And it, it can be funny on TV, but it's not funny in real life. But in contrast, a sober person has control of his mental faculties and of his will. So to be sober-minded means that your mind is devoted to think about what you've planned to think about, and your will is disciplined to carry that out. And here, sober-minded is in the present tense. So this is a habitual way of thinking. So, so being prepared is actually an error. It's actually a point in time. So you say, I'm going I'm to think this way, maybe this day. And then being sober-minded is the idea that I'm going to habitually discipline my mind to think this way. So if we truly want to long for Christ's return and have our present life be affected by that hope, what should we do? 
Peter says here, have an intentional mind, have a disciplined will. And so I think maybe just practically think through some things. What are some ways that we can have an intentional mind? Maybe you should consider what are you doing during your day to think intentionally about the grace and return of Jesus Christ. Think about it this way. If you watch cable news throughout your entire day, what do you think you're going to think about your entire day? What do you think you're going to hope in your entire day? But if you meditate on God's word and you allow this to be your thought throughout the day and you delight in it, what does Psalm 1 say the result's going to be? You're going to have a prosperous way. You're going to have a joy in the Lord. Or let me also just think about what does it mean to have a disciplined mind. Maybe, maybe think about how can I throughout my day remember what God has taught me in his word? How can I think about God's word? Maybe I can think of a verse this week and meditate on that verse. Maybe I can put it on a card and, and carry it along with me, put it in a book and carry it with, with me where I go, or put it in my purse if you're a lady, or a nurse if you're a man. Or, or maybe I can tell someone, maybe one person today, each day I'm going to tell someone what God is teaching me, or, or maybe I'm going to have a group of people and we're going to keep each other accountable to, to studying God's word together. My point is, is like, think about how can I discipline my mind each day to think about God's grace. Verse 13, preparing your minds for action, being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that we brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Church, let's long for Jesus' return. Let's set our hope on the grace that is to come. Let's discipline our minds. Let's set our minds upon God's word and discipline our will to follow to follow what we're desiring to think about, to hope in the Lord. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we'd be lost without your word. We'd be lost in life. We'd be lost as Christians. Your word gives us clarity. It gives us hope. It can be so depressing, so difficult to consider all the, the problems, the suffering, the difficulties in this world as our world just goes a different direction than we all expected, as we hear about the pain of people, honestly, particularly people even overseas who are experiencing hunger, those, some who are in Africa that I heard about that because of the virus and because of the economic problems, they're just going hungry. And there's a lot of pain in this world, God, and it really can bring us down. But God, then we look to your word and we see we have a hope. We have a hope, Jesus, that you could come back soon and you will come back soon and you will come back. And so we choose to set our hope on that, on the grace that's to come. And oh, how humbling it is to think about that because we don't deserve it. There's nothing anyone in this room has, or anyone listening to us right now, nothing anyone has done to earn anything from you. It's only by your grace and your kindness to us. So thank you, Jesus, for the gift of salvation. God, thank you for saving us by, by grace. And I pray you will help us this week, help us to keep our minds upon truth. Help us to discipline our minds to keep thinking about truth. And God, give us grace today and tomorrow 
to tell people this truth. When we think about what's happening in our society, God, we see all these different people. God, we want them to know the truth of the gospel. Awaken our society. Awaken the hearts of people to the truth of Jesus Christ. God, we are convinced as Christians, we are convinced as people who believe the Bible, that if you get a hold of someone's heart, it transforms their life. We're not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so, God, we want to be transformed people. And we know transformed people transform societies. And we don't want to see society go this way. We don't want to see what's happening happen. But, God, we, we know that your purpose is last. And so, God, we, this week, we want to hope in the purposes that you have and the hope that we have to come. So we give ourselves to you as Christians, God. We give ourselves to you. We give our lives to you. We give our country to you. You already had it anyways, but we surrender it to you and say, God, do what you will. Help us to be faithful to do what we should do and give us a longing for your soon return. Keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I guess I just want to give you an opportunity to pray to the Lord as well. If you're a Christian and you're, this has moved in your heart, would you just cry out to the Lord in your own heart? Pray for our country. Pray for the people of our country. Pray for those who are in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you're praying, I, I think maybe there's some people that could be in here, but maybe listening, and maybe you're without Christ. And so let me speak to you and just plead with you to recognize the truth of the gospel, and that is that Jesus is the judge, and he will condemn, he does condemn, and he will uh, punish sin, but he's also the Savior, and he wants to rescue you. Would you believe in him this morning? Call out to him. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise from God. Amen. Amen.